You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley. Not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talk is proud to be a part of the Airwave Media family, home of such shows as The Daily Meditation Podcast, The Accidental Creative, and I Know What Scares You. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. For generations, The Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife, Catherine, was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. I'm sure you recognize that clip from the trailer of the 1976 film, The Omen, and that voice is the great Percy Rodriguez. The Omen's one of those films often credited with fueling the satanic panic of the 1980s. The film made the very word omen far more sinister in the public imagination than the concept probably deserves. Certainly there are death omens, but there's lots of omens for all sorts of things, as we're about to hear. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. I'm very excited about the next two episodes of Monster Talk. Our guest for both is author Chris Woodyard. 
And she's written some really fascinating stuff on many topics that Monster Talk listeners will find right in our sweet spot. For this week's episode, we're going to be discussing omens. And next week, she'll be back for a discussion of women in black. I hope you stick around for both because, speaking for myself, I learned a lot of new stuff in these two episodes and it's always exciting for me to discover new and fascinating legends and lore. In the 1976 film The Omen, there's a grim picture of the cultural role of these symbols. An omen's basically any symbol that inspires the belief that it's a sign of some future outcome. And we'll be talking about a lot of different kinds of omens in this discussion, but they seem to be almost anything that you might observe or notice. And as we will discuss in this interview, they're not tools of divination. This isn't like spinning an apple stem to find the first letter of your future mate's name. And this isn't like cardamancy or any of the other rituals people use to try to divine the future. This is what some people call portents, signs and symbols, otherwise mundane, but for something atypical that gives them significance and powerfully suggests they have a meaning that needs to be found in order to explain it. A skeptical view of omens might simply explain them away as post hoc connections, a kind of fitting of the symbol to the outcome that actually happens. But there's no single simple explanation because sometimes omens are clearly identified before the event happens. For example, an omen might portend some ill outcome and be worried about by all who are informed of it. But when calamity next strikes, then that omen's going to be recalled by everyone and thus fulfill its prophetic potential. But that too would be a kind of post hoc rationalization, and it also doesn't explain omens in a single tidy package. They're often metaphorical, they're sometimes very poetical, and they're usually steeped in symbolism of cultural significance to the experiencers. They seem to be a lot of things to a lot of people, but always involving a warning, portending some faded outcome, and even if the omen turns out to be a failure, it would not shock me to find that the omen is still considered valid, but perhaps through action, luck, or divine intervention was just narrowly escaped. Monster Talk. Chris, I've got a little blurb about your books, but I perhaps you might like to introduce yourself and give us a, a, a bio. I'm Chris Woodyard, and I'm a writer and historian in Ohio, an undoes an undisclosed location in Ohio. <laughs> and I write about ghosts, and I write about fashion history, and I write about death. Um, the author of a number of books on the Ohio ghost scene uh, called the Haunted Ohio series. And I've also written a book called The Victorian Book of the Dead, which is mm -hmm. coffins, crypts, and crepe, all kinds of uh, curiosities in Victorian mourning. Fantastic. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Now, we had some signs that you might be coming. But oh, no. <laughs> Omens. I, so Chris and I met on Twitter or X or whatever it's called today and <laughs> <laughs> got kind of chatting behind the scenes about death omens. So, uh, yeah, Chris, we wanted to have you on the show to talk about this topic and uh, – with regards to, uh, I guess, history in general, uh, I mean, omens certainly go back into history a very long way, but uh, you've written papers and uh, a, a lot of books too treating this topic uh, in particular. And so we just wanted to run through some examples of omens and 
why these things are are omens in in popular culture or throughout history. So you, with your article, which is available on academia.edu, you begin by talking about animals as omens. So I wonder if we could maybe start there. Right. They're they're some of my very favorites, although uh, I kind of cringe when I hear the owls hooting in the backyard because they're always regarded as harbingers of death. Um, (laughs) the, The grave diggers used to say they're a half alive, half dead bird. And if they could get at the dead, they'd eat them. And they're just so sinister, uh, and they, the screech owls in particular, and the barn owls, they sound like they're being knifed. It's just, it's just a horrific sound. It's like a banshee, and I think that's probably why the owl has gotten such a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Birds in general, you know, they're reflective of the soul. Um, so I, I think that's why birds in particular have a death omen uh, status. I was taught as a child that if a bird taps on the window, uh, someone is going to die. And of course, we have birds tapping on our window all the time. So it just it just makes me, you know, very afraid, sometimes. <laughs> just reflexive. It's silly. But uh, the birds in particular um, have that reputation as well. Of course, we've got black dogs. Um, they're some of my particular favorites. Um, there's a really rather grim story about this family in England. <laughs> sorry, sorry. They're all grim stories. Well, well I was going to say the, the Harry Potter, you know, they, oh, they, they, oh, they, they call the I'm, dog the Grim. Oh, dear. That was inadvertent. That was inadvertent. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I welcome any puns, okay. accidental or intentional. Okay. So, yeah. I, I'm, I love puns, too, So, so but yeah. that, one, that one was not intended. But this happened in um, 1884, and there was a tradition in this family that before a death, a large black dog would appear to some of the relations. Mm -hmm. And this woman did not know about this tradition. And they had a sick child, and the doctors didn't think it was anything serious. And the mother went up to check on the baby and said, oh, yeah, baby's sleeping. But she went back downstairs and said to her husband, Baby's asleep, but there's a large black dog lying under the bed. Would you go and drive it away? And the father knew what this meant. He hadn't told her anything about this. And so he went up and there's no dog. But the child was not sleeping. The child was dead. Oh, So sad. Yeah. And when I think of black dogs, too, I think of depression. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I I guess um, Winston Churchill, I think, used to talk about the black dog as depression and I have a question about omens in general. I always think of them as portending something ill, but mm-hmm. but do they fit into the bigger category of divination or are they something separate? Is it more symbolic? In other words, like some people use animal intestines or other other means deliberately to describe yeah deliberate divination versus this seems like it's thrust upon people and they find significance in the symbolism. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right that it's a separate thing from trying to predict the future, you know, getting a bowl of water out and looking into it like you're scrying. But um, no, this seems to be, as you say, something thrust upon people and then completely out of the blue in most cases. I mean, in some cases, of course, they have a family uh, banshee or they have a family creature uh, that right. comes around to, to tell about the death. But uh, in general, these are sort of out of the blue, um, and they're often just one-offs. You also mentioned uh, fish being a, a death omen, and uh, that's one I'd never heard of. 
that one was really quite odd. And this has to do with the royal family of Hawaii. Um, it's a shoal of red fish um, that comes into the bay. And when they see this huge, vast numbers of fish, um, the nets were just breaking. The Hawaiians said that the king was doomed. And he mm. died maybe 20 days later, I guess. This was in 1891. Yeah, very unusual. Um, mm. There's, I do have one more though that's sort of maritime. It's a devil fish, you know, a, a big manta ray, with those horns that uh, look make them look so sinister. And right. one of these was following a ship, and they couldn't figure out why it was following the ship, but they realized the, the captain was being poisoned, and the thing just followed the ship until he died, and they buried him at sea, and then the thing disappeared. So they said he had gone with the devil fish. Wow. Have you heard an omen uh, that if a bird comes into your house, it means someone's going to die? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's again, a really popular one. It, um, it it affected me growing up. I had my mother, a bird got into our house and my mother oh. freaked out. Now she's very fundamentalist Christian, but this, this idea that a bird meant one of us was going to die. Yeah. We, she pulled everybody into the bed. My dad was doing something. I don't know where he was at, but she made all of us kids get in bed with her and just like huddled. Like we're just waiting for the grim reaper. It was the scariest. Oh, no. Yeah, it was so scary. And, uh, what kind of a bird was it? It was something small, like a, I, you know, a sparrow, a chickadee, sparrow. some little thing. It was, it was not, not anything impressive or, you know, we've had a couple of birds in our house here in my, as, as an adult. And I did not terrify my children. We just got a towel, caught it and put the bird back outside. So <laughs> good, good for you. Not, yeah. not scarring for life. Well, I think that's interesting too, because, uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it's every kind of bird that could be a, a death omen and that maybe something cute like a hummingbird not necessarily or a sparrow oh, but ca- if it's a cassowary crow, cassowary yeah or a, a vulture <laughs> there actually was there actually was a story about a man uh, they had the wind, they had the door open and this vulture walked in and it just you know he was sick and he of course immediately died because it was a death omen uh, robins were kind of the death bird um, if they appeared in your house um, or they'd come fluttering around your pillow and then they weren't really there, it was like a phantom robin, uh, that was another signal that the person was about to die. That's that's one thing about these animals is sometimes they just disappear. They're not real. And then there's other ones that seem to be really corporeal. So I've, I've heard things, the spiritualists used to say, oh, a spirit entered into that living bird and sent them as a death omen, as opposed to it being a phantom bird. Have you looked at the relationship between this kind of animal uh, as an omen and with the idea of psychopomps or, or, you know, birds? Like, Hmm. I I was thinking about the, the, you know, in horror circles, H.P. Lovecraft wrote about uh, whippoorwheels uh, being... Like birds that would announce the death of someone and possibly take their soul away. Well, the dove, of course, is is oh, considered yeah. to be something of a psychopomp because the Holy Spirit dove. Um, mm-hmm. So you fly away with the dove. And there was one family in England that had uh, doves as their particular death omen, and they drove them away. They They didn't want them in the neighborhood, and they kept coming back because whenever they saw them, somebody would die. In your article, you also mentioned bees, and I wasn't 
really familiar with bees being death omens. There's a custom called t telling the bees when someone dies, you have to go and tell the bees that the master is dead or the head of the house is dead or there's been a death in the household or there's been a wedding in the household. You just have to keep the bees informed. And sometimes they'll drape crepe on the bee scaps. Um, so that is one association of bees with death. But if a swarm of bees comes into your yard and it alights on a dead tree or on a dead branch or just on a, a fence post that isn't a living, breathing tree, there'll be a death in the family of the owner of that property during the year. Mm. Well, certainly if you're attacked by a swarm of bees. Well, like, yeah, it only takes one bee if you're allergic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. I was going to say that, that that's a death omen. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did it with um, they did it with plants. They would drape their house plants in crepe or they would go tell the cows. And it was something about if you don't inform them, they're going to fly away or they're going to die themselves um, or they're going to not be prosper things won't prosper the the plants will die or won't won't deliver mm. that's uh, becoming very true well yeah all the issues with bees and dying. yes yes <laughs> unfortunately yeah connie collapse disorder is is no joke i've i heard something and this is something i'll have to look up and offline, put an insert in if there's something to it. But I'd heard there'd been some breakthroughs and maybe they were on the rebound, but I, I don't know, you know. With, the news is real good at letting you know when things are terrible, but they're not so good yes. at letting you know things have eased yes. up. Improved, yeah. yeah. Very true. Yeah. A quick insert here. The colony collapse disorder scare first took off in about 2006 when reports of bee colonies dying mysteriously was first reported in the media. This is a complicated story because I think the media narrative was looking for the mysterious bee killer. But it turned out to be caused by a variety of converging behaviors and conditions, not one single simple cause. Since that first wave of reporting, there was a continued decline in the bee populations for a while. But by 2016, it seemed like the colonies were increasing in their populations. Colony collapse disorder is still a serious concern, but we didn't lose all our bees, largely because it wasn't a single unstoppable cause, but rather a series of mitigatable antagonists that could be dealt with. If you would like to promote bee health but don't want to raise bees, a couple of things you can do is try to not apply pesticides to flowering plants that are under your care during the daylight hours when bees are harvesting nectar. And you can plant more flowering plants. And I know I'm not going to turn America off of its obsession with monoculture lawns, but letting some flowering weeds thrive in your backyard does help bees and butterflies. But if you'd like more ideas about how you can help bees thrive, try checking out the North American Pollinator Protection Campaign. Its website is pollinator.org. I know what we've got lots of types of omens to talk about. Long list. But, but I was yeah. just curious... About the practice itself, it seems like uh, I definitely know it from you know European culture, uh, and I think I've seen it in some Asian movies uh, where people saw symbols that were significant. Is it global? Is it worldwide? Does everybody have some? Uh, it is. Yeah. Yes, uh, I, I'm unfortunately not as well schooled in in other cultures. I'm more European and American centered in my studies, um, but I have read other things. There's one in particular that I'm always fascinated by is if in Japan you dream about fire, that's a good luck omen. 
And it's sort of like um, dreams going by reverse. If you dream about a wedding, there'll be a funeral. If you dream about a funeral, there'll be a wedding. And I'm thinking how much fire has ravaged the Japanese cities because of the paper and wooden structures. But mm-hmm. they dream about fire and it's good luck. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've heard with a lot of uh, interpretations of, of dreams. Um, you know, people will talk about uh, death in dreams being rebirth or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. could, could certainly imagine that. But uh, uh, yeah, we... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. As Blake said, we've got this list of uh, omens, and uh, I'd be interesting to talk about a few more of them. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, for example, maybe uh, plants, you write about roses and apples and even potatoes being death omens. It seems like everything can be an omen. It, it does seem that way. And I'm, I just wonder, when I was doing the collecting of ghost stories, um, there was one gentleman who called me and everything in his life was ghostly. He said, oh, I heard something at the back door and I opened the door and what do you think I saw? It was something ghostly. It was a puppy. And I was oh. like, yeah, okay, it was a puppy. It wasn't a ghost. He, he was determined that everything was going to be ghostly. And I, I think a lot of people also wanted everything to be some kind of an omen. Yeah. It, it gives you a sense of control, well, I think, it, or, or, or you know what's uh, – at least you can plan ahead, even if it's bad news. Well, I, I described it – some people have a low threshold for the supernatural. Like, in other words, sure. they'll, they'll see it as a supernatural thing where I, I, other people would just haunted see it as – Haunted people. Yeah, haunted people. Well, and my mom Thank has a, a low threshold yes. for the – for the miraculous. My mom thinks everything's a mirror. Every good thing is from God. Every bad mm-hmm. thing is from Satan. And that's not mm-hmm. metaphorical. She really believes that, right. like, you know, so, and I, and I, again, I don't want to say like, I'm knocking my mom. I love my mom. But I'm just telling you that's, that it is, it, it's a mindset with which yes. I'm deeply familiar. <laughs> yes, I absolutely agree with that. Well, we were talking about plants. Um, roses. If you have roses blooming out of season, it's a very bad omen, particularly Ooh. white roses. 
um, apples, if you have an apple tree that um, is blossoming at the same time as you have apples on it, that is a death omen. Wow. Um, there was an awful story of um, a woman who was in a garden. This was an 18th century story. She was pregnant and she leaned up against this apple tree and she, they noticed that there was only one apple on the tree. Uh, and all the other apples fell off as she stood there. And oh. one of her, her friends said to the the husband, I'm sorry, but I think this is a very bad omen. The one apple left on the tree is going to be your surviving child. Yikes. And sure enough, she died in childbirth, but the child survived. And they actually named the tree after her. They named it Elizabeth. Wow, what a story. And it's a, a very, very creepy story. Um, mm. Oh, now these the are creepy stories. Well, <laughs> I try, I try. Have a potato. Thank you, I should love a potato. Potatoes. This was, this is from Adams County, Illinois. Uh, the woman said she put a couple of large potatoes in the stove to bake, and when she went to get them, one of the potatoes, just one of them, was all scooped out, like somebody had taken a spoon and just scooped out everything but the skin. She said she was the only one in the house, and she said it was a token for her husband dropped dead the next day. <laughs> and I look at that and I think that reminds me of like the f virtue that goes out of the food that's stolen by the fairies. You know, you, it looks like good food, but it's just toadstools and excrement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't don't read the ingredients. That's the trick. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, this makes me think of uh, superstitions with sports people and. How if they yes. eat a certain food or wear a certain T-shirt right. or socks or something like that and have a uh, win a match, then they link that success to whatever it was that they did. And so I can imagine people having something bad happen and then linking it to whatever incidents surrounding that. And then suddenly, I guess it kind of diffuses around uh, well, throughout society and, and then other people start believing that too. So I could see these spreading. Exactly, exactly. Sort of a, a, a contagion of folklore. Yes, yeah, for Although, sure. It's interesting, though, because some of these stories, for example, I like, okay, this sort of skeptical, rational person might say, well, a bad thing happened, and they thought back, and they was anything unusual before this event? And ah, mm -hmm. remember we saw mm -hmm. that thing. And that makes yeah. perfect mm -hmm. sense. But some yeah. of these yeah. stories you're telling involve people seeing a thing and saying, no, no, this right here, this portends bad outcome. And then yes. mm -hmm. a bad outcome happens, which again, a skeptic might say, well, the next bad thing will automatically be related to that thing. But it's also, right. it's super creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, a good example of that is Second Sight uh, in the Highlands. Um, and, and one of my favorite examples, because it also has mortuary symbolism in it, is um, where you see a shroud or a winding sheet on a person. And the higher it is on their body, the less time they have to live. Um, and one, one fellow was out in the field, and he, the, uh, the overseer was praising this young woman for working really hard and said what a great worker she was. And the man with the second sight said, well, yeah, she's a really good worker, but I'm sorry to say this is her last harvest. He says, what do you mean? She's in perfect health. Well, I see her shroud upon her, and it's well above her breast. And sure enough, she got a fever and died in a couple of weeks. 
it was very specific too with these shrouds being a certain height yeah yeah i haven't heard of that either i wonder if it's somehow connected to religion to christianity and i don't think so it's it's not it's more um just just the custom of shrouding the dead because that was pretty much what you were buried in uh, you didn't always have a coffin. They just would shroud you and right. carry you to oh, the graveyard. That makes sense. Hmm. Of course, anything we say is going to sound like a blanket explanation. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, covers it like a dust sheet. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, still so many items on the list. Uh, I you mentioned clocks, and uh, I had a friend who uh, was gifted a clock uh, because the original owner claimed it was haunted and it stopped at a certain time and that uh, time was the exact moment of death of a relative and you hear lots of stories of, of clocks stopping at uh, the, the point of the moment of death or or uh, something like that so I could see that being a, a, a death omen somehow Oh yeah, that's a and that one was such a common one. And I, uh, there's that song, of course, uh, "Grandfather's Clock," and the clock stopped never to go again when the old man died. Oh my yes. goodness gracious! Are those the lyrics? I had a favorite toy when I was a kid that played that song, and I didn't know the words. <laughs> what? Oh, really? No, absolutely, absolutely. It fascinated oh. me. But uh, um, that is amazing. Okay, well, I've, there you go. That's fine. You've, you've, you've. I didn't even know the, the song. As soon as you said it, I could absolutely see how it goes to the music. I know exactly what yes. that song is. Oh yes. my goodness gracious! That's creepy. It, oh wow. The song we're discussing is called The Grandfather Clock, and it was written by Henry Clay Work back in 1876. Work was already a successful songwriter who had self-taught and broke into the business of songwriting and selling his sheet music job after a job setting musical type in the sheet music printing business. This idea of clocks stopping at the death of their owner was absolutely popularized from this song. And the inspiration of the song is said to have been from a real clock that was at the George Hotel in Piercebridge, North Yorkshire, England. The hotel still stands today and is now managed by Best Western, but it's still a classic English wayside lodging by the looks of it. According to legend, the hotel was run by two brothers, and there was a large clock in the lobby. After the demise of one of the brothers, the clock began to irrevocably fail to keep time accurately, and when the second brother died, the clock is said to have stopped altogether. Mr. Work stayed at that hotel and he heard the story and was inspired to write the much more romantically themed version of the story that's in the lyrics of the song. The Grandfather Clock was such a popular tune that he ended up selling more than a million copies of the sheet music. Surely that makes it a hit, right? But the real measure of how big of a hit it was is simply this. Before his song's 1870s chart-busting, All of that kind of clock were referred to as long case clocks. But today, because of his song, we all call them grandfather clocks. We've done many episodes of Monster Talk, but this one solved a mystery of one of my very favorite toys way back when I was just a toddler. It was a Fisher-Price music box tick-tock clock. They were actually first developed in the 1960s, and they were designed to teach you several important concepts around clocks and time, all the while playing the famous song by Mr. Work. This 
little moment of research has brought me so much simple and wholesome joy. The the custom too was when someone died, you actually you did stop the clock at the time of death, and there are funeral arrangements that have floral clocks with paper um, faces with movable hands, so you can set them to the time of death. So it was very significant. Mm-hmm. It's a method of record keeping. And mm-hmm. until yeah. everybody switched to digital watches, it used to be a forensic tool to see what time the watch stopped in a, sure. you know, because yeah. you, you'd be in a car accident or something would happen. Your watch would stop and that, that's, you know, you could tell when it happened. That mm-hmm. was, right. uh, that is wild. Okay. You, your research has had looked into a lot of, uh, you talked about Victorian funerary uh, symbolism and mm-hmm. some of these omens are tied to things like having visions of coffins and funerals. Oh, yes. Can, can you, mm-hmm. and of course, Phantom Hearses is a favorite. So can you talk a yes. little bit about some oh, of those? Oh, yes. Yeah. That, that one is a, is a particular favorite. Um, they drive up to the door and you hear it come up and, and you open the door. And of course, there's nobody there. And there was one uh, where this woman looked, was, she was, sitting by her husband's deathbed and they said just come away and sit by another part of the house and look out the window and she looks out the window and here's a hearse coming up and she's like who ordered the hearse i didn't ask for that hearse and they the hearse drove up to the door they opened the doors the whatever the creatures were that were driving it they pulled out a coffin and then eventually they put the coffin back in shut the doors and ran away and they went into the next door room where the man was dying. And of course he was dead, but that thing was taking him away. Literally. You talk about psychopomps. There's, there's the hearse psychopomp. And then the next day when they, when it all happened for real, for real, it was a rehearsal. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I have he's to be done. quicker with you. Yes. <laughs> he's a master. Yeah. He, I have he something. Is. It's, it's something. Yep, something. Our yeah. listeners I'm say wondering... it's a condition. What... <laughs> Did uh, the other people in the house see the hearse as well? Well, the nurse oh. saw it. She was sitting with, ah. with the wife. Uh, they'd sort of taken a little breather while, while he was, uh, he was sick. And, mm-hmm. uh, saw the hearse. I was going to say, this is making me think of uh, Blake, one of our favorite tales, the tale of Lord Dufferin. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know of that? More. Yes. Room yeah. for one more. <laughs> what yeah, a the, kindred spirit you are. <laughs> the, the creature, well, the, the story with Lord from Lord Dufferin is um, looking out the window and you see a hearse in, basically pulled up in the backyard uh, with this rather distorted or a deformed man standing there and he's beckoning to you like come on come on always room for one more mm-hmm. and the woman who sees this it's usually a woman recoils in horror um and he drives away and then she's getting into an elevator uh in, in some large building the next day or within the next week and here's the elevator operator looks identical to the man with the hearse and he beckons and says always room for one more and she recoils and of course, the elevator crashes to its doom. That's one version. Yeah, it's you yeah. know, there's a lot of different versions of the same story. 
Yeah. Even though Lord Dufferin would tell it as his own. Exactly. Yes. Well, and, and of course, it shows up on the Twilight Zone. Uh, yes. Which mm-hmm. Famously, mm-hmm. and super creepy. Mm-hmm. They only did a few. They did one season, I think, where they shot with video instead of film, and that was from that season. It looks a little weird, but that's it's still a powerful story. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It is. It's a classic. I don't know why I'm sharing Twilight Zone trivia, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, For more behind another, the scenes on the Twilight Zone. <laughs> another thing with with hearses is that you see phantom funerals, and these are really interesting because they usually mimic the funeral that is to come. Someone Why? and you you either see them or you hear them. You never see you never see and hear them at the same time. So whatever it is, you hear the tread and you hear a hymn being sung or you see certain people carrying the coffin. And then, of course, the next whatever cycle it takes for it to come, uh, the next mm-hmm. funeral looks exactly like that. I've heard of that with uh, Abraham Lincoln's funeral. I, I'd heard that there was a phantom train that uh, oh, appeared. Yes, yes. Um, I, I always train. used to- I always used to look for that train. My, my grandparents' house was right next to a train track. And I always looked, I was, I was terrified I was going to see this train go by. Um, and it supposedly was, um, it had the coffin on it and it had a band of skeletal musicians playing nice. instruments. And there yep. were soldiers mounting guard on it. And it, every year in April, I think it was. And the trainmen would get down and watch it go by, and it was all very, very, very spooky. Uh, they tried to find it here in uh, Ohio because uh, the funeral train you know, took a long way to get to Illinois, and it drove through some of the towns in Ohio. I, I've been with drivers like that, I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's obviously hundreds, if not thousands, of things that people, you know, see as omens. It, it, when you're trying to sort of put this all together and, and how we find meaning from it, what what do you think's at play here? Like, what 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 is it all about? What what, what are omens really all about? I know that they they, they may portend death, but it, what does it mean to humans? <laughs> I think it really is about control. It's it's about trying to assert some kind of control over what we can't control, which is death. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, while some of us may find the idea of preparing for death distasteful, this wasn't an abstract idea to the people of the 19th and 20th century. They wanted to have a good death. They wanted to have everybody around the bed and they wanted every, all their affairs wrapped up in a will made and everything all proper. And if you knew you were going to die, it was easier. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, there were people who said, well, I'm going to die at eight o'clock on Tuesday. And they'd go out and they'd buy their coffin and their shroud and they'd make all their arrangements. And sure enough, they'd die at eight o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, Not sure how they worked that, but. um, But that that is a really thought provoking and thoughtful answer. That's great. Mm, Uh, It really is. And speaking of having control. Uh, I, I think I'm going to exercise some control here and say this is the end of part one. So tune in next mm-hmm. week as we continue this interview with part mm-hmm. two, which is all about women in black. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. 
You just heard an interview with author Chris Woodyard discussing the topic of omens. Check out our show notes for links to her books and writing, as well as some further reading about things that we discussed in this episode. Chris will be back next week, and you don't want to miss it, to discuss women in black. And this was one of the few times we've had a guest completely surprise me with something I'd never read about. So come back for that. By the way, the Patreon platform had a glitch this past month where there was a problem with the bank upon which the system processes payments. And if you happen to be a patron of the show, your credit card company may have, out an abundance of digital caution, flagged last month's transaction as fraud and kicked you out of the app or canceled your payment. As a show incredibly dependent upon your patronage, if you happen to be one of our sponsors, I hope you'll take a moment and double-check that your patronage level is still working at the intended level of support. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to us. We also like to listen to you. If you have questions or comments, the Patreon page is a great place to stay in touch, but you can also send us email at monstertalk.org. Just use Blake at monstertalk.org for me and Karen at monstertalk.org for... You guessed it, for Karen. Thanks. been a Monster House presentation.